All right, everybody, it's another round of the Hit Rewind mixtape, and my God, I was so loud when I started this. Jeez, that might, the bar just went like supernova. Sorry if I broke anybody's headphones. Jeez. Just squeak, 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 Okay, there we go. Get, let's clear out those ears. That, that's the weird part is that you're on speaker, and you are literally, the speaker is six inches from the microphone. I am like a foot and a half away, and yet I'm spiking so hard. I, I, I'll get it. I'll get it, people. I'm professional ish like a similarity uh, a simile I mean never mind I'm gonna shut up now go ahead and talk well uh, I am kind of excited to talk about some of these ones uh, for this thing because I kind of felt like my 1982 is going to be a very challenging let's to say the least uh, set of set of bands because yeah there's definitely some very heavy stuff and then definitely some kind of esoteric-y avant-garde yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'll say 80 and 81 was easier for me. This one was the year that was, and I, I imagine it's going to get easier. Well, we're also going through the fits of, you know, music is changing so fast during this era because we have MTV debuting, which is changing the face of music, literally, um, by focusing more on the looks than, you know, anything else. So a lot of the stars, their careers are starting to dip because they, they can't film you know, good uh, music videos, or they look goofy. And um, we have New Wave really peaking. We have punk starting to fade a little bit. Um, you know, and prog rock is fading. And then we're just around the corner from, like, hair metal, uh, you know, power European metal, and then R&B is going to change. Hip-hop's going to explode into the top 40. So we're really in this weird period for a couple years. 84 is going to be wildly different than 82. And once once we hit like eighty five and definitely eighty six, I think I've said it before. It's like I think we should probably end up devoting a couple of shows to these things because, good lord, there there's a lot of stuff, especially yeah. once eighty six hits. You know, and I said I think I said in the last episode when we we're teasing this is I'm going to have a hard time with the late eighties because it's got all going to be hair metal. A I forgot modern rock is going to explode in a few years. And um, I, okay, this is so weird. I was watching The Blob last night, the 1988 Blob, and it ends with this song by a band called Alien, which I never made it through the credits. I always finish the movie and just turn it off. The song was pretty cool, so I went to go check them out on Spotify, and all night long, I listened to, I don't even know what the genre would be called, pop metal, because it has the standards of what all that hair metal and, and heavy metal had at the time in the late 80s. But it had a more radio-friendly sound. I've never heard of a single one of these bands. I've never heard a single one of the songs. And almost every single one of them was pretty damn good. Well, I would have to look it up. But there are a lot of these bands that just kind of existed to be on soundtracks. So Yeah. I mean, you had like the, Trans- like the Transformers soundtrack had some banging tracks. But name me any band that's not uh, Weird Al. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> that's off that. Um, was that list? Monster Squad has a really great song on it by a guy who's famous for one other song, Maniac, and he really has no albums. So, so if you want to hear Rock Until You Drop, you got to go to YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that just, yeah, music is changing so wildly that people, people are putting out some pretty interesting stuff just, just across the all musical spectrums. There's some. I remember hearing some, you know, reading something. I think uh, they said, "Oh, the '80s was the least diverse music musical uh, time." Bullshit. Like, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's let's talk about what didn't make the list before we go to our list. What are some options that you had that you got close to adding but decided to change? Well, you you were kind of talking about punk, and I definitely had a couple of punk bands that I was thinking about doing. Like uh, Fear uh, put out the record. Circle Jerks had Wild in the Streets. Descendants had Milo Goes to College. Uh, the first Bad Brains album, uh, the self-titled, aka the Yellow Tape, because it was in a yellow tape or yellow box. Uh, Front Two Four Two's Geography get some early industrial. Uh, Missing Persons was one that just almost made it on the list with the Spring Session M. And even though it wasn't an album, I did. You always kind of want to throw out uh, Planet Rock. The single from Africa Bambata came out uh, 
this that year as well. Okay, you know, have you ever read Hip Hop Nation, the comic book by Ed Piscor? Yeah, I've read I've read uh, some of it. I don't know if yeah. I've read the whole thing. But I, I love that he gives you that journey through the eighty or the seventies and eighties about hip hop rising. In, I think it ends in eighty nine. But um, you you know you say African Babata and the uh, one of them made your list. I'm gonna, we're going to discuss later. But these guys were really critical during a chunk of the eighties. But they're not household names. No, and it's weird too because you will recognize a lot of these songs, uh, if anything, just from like little bits and pieces. Uh, one that didn't make well wasn't out this year. I don't believe. I think it was a, comes out another year too. Uh, but uh, Sugar Hill Gang had a one of the records had a song called Apache. Right, which I love. Played like, it on Just yeah, Dance. And I guarantee. <laughs> yeah, like, I guarantee anyone. You know, you may not recognize that name immediately, but the second you hear that song, and it's technically, it's a cover of sorts. I mean, very heavily sampled. I'm going to kind of lean into it just being a cover. Yeah, it's, um, it's from the Amazing Bongo Band, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, you recognize that drum beat and all, and the dun, 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 dun. But then, of course, they added their, they added vocals to it. Yeah. The uh, and it's like, I was gonna say my oh, list right, of ones that now see here's the problem. What we try to do on the show and we kind of discussed this off air. We haven't really discussed it on air. Is we're not trying to pick the albums that everybody knows, the ones that were really famous that got a lot of sales. Like I thought about Prince 1999, but then I forgot the rules are you know trying to stick to stuff that was underrated. So I didn't choose that. Um, uh, Rush I mean, signal. This year had Iron, yeah, Iron Man's Number of the Beast came out this year. It's a hell of an album, and if you've never heard it, you really should, but it is also Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast. It's a pretty well-known album. Yeah, I would say it's one of the most well-known. The Waitresses, I Could Rule Tomorrow, I really thought about adding. Uh, In Excess, Shabu Shabu, uh, which was their first album, which had a couple really great hits on it. But the rest of them were just filled, like, these were all successful. Duran Duran Rio is a great album. Clash, Combat Rock, everybody knows that one. Stray Cats, Built for Speed, you know, stuff like that. And I really wanted to add Thomas Dolby, the golden age of, uh, I, I, write, I write notes, I don't know what the whole title is. But it's just one of those, yeah, it had a few hits, or a few great songs, but it's not a solid listen. It's one of those where you skip ahead. So I, I couldn't include that one. Yeah, and I was even, that was one thing that I was looking at, because I, my entire list of everything that now I don't want to say everything that came out but everything that I'm like notable 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 I'm like oh yeah Thomas Dolby Let, I'll put that on a on the potentials of my lists the we'll o- see what happens from yeah. there the, uh, the first thing on your list is what I said this so is first what John what is it John is I think I'll go with not necessarily the most uh, challenging but maybe the most challenging one, which would be Venom's Black Metal. Now, Black Metal is new at this time, right? Because when I'm listening to this, I had to take into account that Thrash and and this, what do you call it? True, what, do you remember that movie uh, where they always talk about true Norwegian Black Metal? <laughs> was that Lords yeah, of... oh, that, yeah, the, uh, that's Masters of, Masters of Chaos, if I remember right. Or Lords of Chaos, Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos, yeah. It's, uh... I'm assuming this is part of that movement. Uh, it's it is and it isn't. Uh, Venom is essentially the band that's been one of the biggest influences on quote unquote extreme metal because this is a thrash band, or at least kind of started out as such, and they really kind of leaned in to the idea of using satanic imagery because it was kind of like a reaction to Ozzy Osbourne who would start talking about dark things and Satan and things like that and then immediately walk it back with like, oh, save me, God. And they're just kind of going, why are you being a pussy? You know, if you're going to talk about something, go full, you know, go for it. Go for gusto. And so their their uh, use of the satanic imagery and uh, the celebration of evil subjects basically started having an influence on other bands who kind of wanted to go and visit darker things and like the album and its namesake song black metal ultimately became the name 
of the genre that would be quote-unquote satanic metal. Although, even at this point, not all black metal bands are satanic. It's the, uh, the cover of the album is one that I've seen many times before, and this sounds stupid, but it actually scares me, I guess, if you want to put it in those words. It fills me with dread. Like, I don't know if I want to listen to that. That looks disturbing. There's something well, grindhouse well, like about that one. It. Yeah, their, their previous album is like a, like a pentagram and stuff like that. Uh, like a goat and stuff like that. Called The first album's Welcome to Hell. And it's essentially what they did was basically what later bands would do uh, is essentially write horror films. Their, their entire thing is essentially just these are, this is Evil Dead. You know, here's, here's all these evil things and we're not afraid to talk about them and show them to you. It's up to you whether you are quote unquote brave enough to go on the journey. Okay. It was a hard listen, I gotta say. Yeah. It, it was. See, I even listened to Thrash back in the day. Um, I've been known to fall asleep to uh, Ride the Lightning. But for me, this was on that verge. Like, I get it. And here's the weird thing is, listen to the album. It almost feels like a second producer came in halfway through. The first four or five songs are real basic. Like, they recorded it in a basement at a friend's house. But then the second half, all of a sudden, starts bringing in better choruses. The guitar playing gets a little more elaborate. And the, the sound production gets a little bit better. Did you notice this at all? I did. Uh, it's especially if you listen between the first album and this one. This one is a lot cleaner. Even even the, the songs that are very kind of muddled and uh, have a lot of reverb and everything in it, it's, they definitely, this is a band that, they, you, they knew how to play. And actually the last track on this album is a thing called At War With Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's listed two different ways. I think on Spotify it's introduction and it's originally just preview. Because they basically kind of kept getting told, oh yeah, you guys can't play with shit. So the guy went and wrote a 20-minute epic uh, for the next album that basically is, you know, him seeking a middle figure to everybody going, yeah, I can play, motherfucker. We are, we, we choose to play fast and loose and, and things like that. But yeah, it's, the, the I think, the album and even even the band in general a lot of their problem is vocally it's very samey and that's you know that's it became part of the gimmick for a lot of black metal bands to have a growly raspy you know voice uh huh and it's it's always things where it works for some songs like black metal comes out at you and you immediately want to th you know jump in a pit and beat the hell out of people <laughs> and the and that's like uh and say to hell and back it's like this freight train of a song but then you get you get like uh raise the dead and uh teacher's pet especially like teacher's pet uh, teacher's really... pet. yeah that's that's the single right there if there was a single that's that's the one i would go for it's like yeah, but I go like the vocals kind of work against it because it's it's musically very very interesting, but vocally just kind of you know it's not really there. But the same thing is also for some reason in the middle of the song is that little moment where oh no we're have, we're singing our our school song and it's like it's years before Hot for Teacher, but this is like make me have uh, Hot for Teacher vibes. It, it does feel like it's a song for another band. It feels like it's about five years later, too. But, I mean, there's there's some interesting stuff, like Buried Alive is a song that takes quite a, you know, a couple of minutes to get started, but it's this, you kind of get creeped out by it because it's very quiet, and then just kind of like little, little light vocal things kind of come in, voices, slight sound effects, and then the song starts, but it kind of get this weird creepy dread going with it. I actually thought I had a phone connection problem. Here's, I went to go uh, water the garden over at the church while listening to this. So A, I wasn't home, so I thought I had a phone connection problem. And then as I was sitting there watering the plants, I started thinking about what I was listening to and the fact I was staying on church grounds. I was like, uh, 
Yeah, I feel like I'm doing something really bad right now. <laughs> yeah, it... Well, no, Welcome to Hell would be the one, because that that ends with a song called In League with Satan. Oh, yeah, uh, that, would, that would feel... <laughs> again, also very impactful, but also a very dirty song. It's much better when, you, when people have gone and re-recorded that one. But, I mean, things like uh, Countess Bathory is a quote-unquote slow song for them. Because, every, you know, it's like that uh, the one, actually one of the other songs I really like off of it, it's called Don't Burn the Witch, is also slow, but you have this, like, you still have the, the fast drum beats, even the guitars are occasionally blazing through these songs, yet it's still a slower tempo. It's kind of odd <laughs> in that matter. Alright, anything else you want to say about this album before we move on? Well, I I apologize for scaring you. It did, I, I pooped <laughs> in my pants. <laughs> but I, I knew what I was doing with that. Um, I knew I knew it wasn't gonna be the <laughs> like I have three I have three things on here I kind of going I can lose a lot of people when you know, talking about it. <laughs> well, but it's, it's so I have funny to go it's for it. that a mine is feels so pop, so mainstream in comparison. But yeah, what do you got for me? Uh, the first one is the final album from a highly underrated band, The Jam. Uh, their last album is called The Gift, and I think it is their best. And sadly, this is also what tore apart the band. Oh man, there's some there's some stuff on here that I totally love, like Precious, because all of a sudden, because you have the it starts off with this awesome uh, pumping uh, track, Happy Together, uh-huh. and then you got uh, Ghost, which is all laid back, but then immediately right after that, you get into Precious, and it's this funky disco song. Yeah, it's so strange. <laughs> what? It's like yeah, just who is the? I mean, there's there's some there's some bangers on this on this album man. well and even throw in like island music towards the end I can't remember which one that was I think it was Carnation but um, you know they start throwing in the island uh, steel drums and stuff like that oh uh, the, the planner's dream gone wrong that was the one because that has okay. the steel drums yeah that's... but they're experimenting uh, yeah, with new yeah. sounds it, it doesn't help that they were always in competition in the shadow of The Clash and it feels like The Clash always got the things before they did and so this is their final, but it's also the most experimental, which is where uh, The Clash was in, on their last two albums, is that they were trying new genres, mixing it in with modern rock. Some people want to call them punk. I, I never really saw the jam as punk. They're just, uh, they're, they're more new wave and modern rock, or, or mod revival, I guess, is what the genre they fit into. Yeah, and, like, my God, A Town Called Malice, that... That's a hell of a song. Yeah, that is probably their like, greatest song. Well, that's entertainment, maybe, but this is probably... I, I would say Town Called Mouse is my favorite. Yeah, just it's one of those things where you listen to the lyrics, and I like socially conscious music. I like things that not only do they tell a story, but not only can you see it at the time that it happened, but sometimes, you know, not, not in the best light, obviously, but you can see the parallels to today. And, yeah, Town Called Mouse definitely has that, where it just, not only do I do I have that, that you know, picture my mind's eye of 1982, but I also can see a lot of what they're talking about still going on today. Oh, totally. You sit there and just... Oh, man. Yeah, Kinda. that... Oh, wow. Okay, so, so I, was tr- I was trying to figure out what happened to the jam after they broke up because I never actually looked into it before because this is the album that destroyed them because uh, Paul Waller is the main writer and, and he pretty much put it together, all the albums, and you know he was under pressure from the label to be more mainstream and they were forced out an album almost every single year and it was just becoming exhausting for him and he wanted to do music his own way and the, uh, the rest of the band was nervous about changing their sound I guess they just don't see what the next thing coming was is that they have MTV and they have college rock radio starting up and that rock is becoming more eclectic and I think Paul Weller was right in changing up the sound 
and uh, it's just sad that they uh, they broke up. But uh, I guess Paul Weller uh, started a new band called the Style Council right after this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check out what they. Uh, what if they ever had any hit songs? What, yeah, where where they where he went next? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, it is I don't know if they had any singles. Yeah, there's but. some. Yeah, there's some. I mean, there's a couple of things on here where it's like, yeah, I could I could go without Trans Global Express. Uh, running on spots kind of iffy for me, but it's like the stuff in here that is really really good is so good that it it really like. It doesn't matter if it. It's like one of those things where you're like, eh, you know, all killer, no filler. It's like this is. There's enough killer that the filler does is inconsequential. Right. Do you, um. What was I say? I totally forgot. Oh, but I was gonna look. Uh, the Style Counter was huge in the UK. They had a ton of top ten hits. They only ever had a song they hit twenty nine in nineteen eighty four. So I'm I'm gonna go check them out because I really like the sound, but um. I wish I could remember what I was going to say before that I got distracted. Because stupid Wikipedia and my ADD. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is your second album? All right, my next album is going to be Plasmatic's Coup d'etat. Uh, might now, be my favorite of the choices. It's real close to another one, and I had no idea. I've never listened to Plasmatic's. I know about Wendy O. Williams because she was in Reform Schoolgirls and then died soon afterwards. I didn't know that she was actually singing on this album. I was like, oh, maybe she joined the band later. I was wrong. She is a fucking yeah, T-Rex was... of rock and roll. Yeah, and that's the thing is they, they started out as this punk band, and they they had the fuck you spirit of punk down you know down pat because not only would Wendy Williams uh, spit you know, smash shit on stage, she'd flash the audience. Uh, hell, in one you know it's like one of the songs. Instead of having a guitar solo, they would just take a chainsaw and cut a guitar in half. <laughs> uh, she, in 81, she got arrested for indecency, indecency charges for simulating masturbation with a sledgehammer. I mean, this band was intense. Yeah, it's, I had this no idea. A, this this is a ripping the band-aid off a wound, if I'm going to give a metaphor to what it sounded like. Oh, I I will say is I really think this is the rare album for me at least where I think side B is actually the superior side. Of oh it. wow! Because you know how, how kind of how you always have you always want to put your best foot forward sort of thing, and side A on this is a relentless barrage of intensity and anger and everything. But I also say I think side B is a little more eclectic and better constructed musically. Well, and the funny thing is, you really can't pin them down to a genre. They're not punk. They're not metal. I don't know what they are. They're it's kind of like Rage Against the Machine, where they're their own genre. No one else sounds like them. They have a mixture of like what was coming up in metal, and they have some European influence and in punk, but really nothing like it. I, I was truly astonished. Yeah, well, it's like this is much more metal than it was punk. Like the older, like the older stuff is definitely. I want. I kind of wanted to do uh, Beyond the Valley of 1984 for last year's one, but I kind of decided to put this one on because this is just such a tour de force of an album that you can't. Well, also I can't say no to the fact that it has a Motorhead cover on it because they covered No Class, uh-huh. and which is also kind of funny because they did this cover. And then they would also later on, like the same year, uh, do a uh, EP with Motorhead as a collaboration, uh, where they would actually re-record No Class as a duet, or at least as much of a duet as it can be. It was also uh, like "Stand by Your Man," the country song, uh-huh. was one of the tracks, and I forget what the other one was, but yeah, it's just this odd collaboration, but it was kind of part of Lemmy's I'll do, you know, I'll collaborate with people especially women, because I want to raise people up because they some of these people kick, you know, kick fucking ass Alright, so but, we, we promised Go ahead, I'm sorry, I think we're done Oh, I was just going to say one, one more thing about the, it's uh, this would be technically the last Plasmatics album although technically there's an album called The Maggots, which came out in 87 which has the Plasmax name, but uh, Wendy Williams 
uh, name is Above the Bands, and uh, the tour only sold her merch. So it's basically everyone kind of considers it another one of her solo albums. But that's some kind of shitty stuff where we're gonna put up we're gonna put the Plasmatics name on this, but it's actually just mine. Um, so we made the kind of the agreement that uh, we would try not to copy bands every year because honestly I could put Devo uh, like four years in a row and I could put uh, Oingo Boingo every single year but I, I, I'm trying not to like we skipped Alice Cooper when he actually had a better album I think in 1981 but um, <laughs> uh, so Devo makes the return for my second choice and it's oh no it's Devo maybe my favorite from them I'm always torn between this and uh, something for everybody. But uh, this is the album that uh, they kind of fucked up. They kind of burned their bridges with Warner Brothers. They still had a contract for one more. Uh, and it's the last one to chart decently. It had no hit singles, but it did have a solid fan base. So it debuted at 47. And what pissed them off, Warner Brothers, was um, they took the budget for one music video and cut it down to three music videos with no real production value all three videos almost look exactly the same and it infuriated warner brothers so that's why they buried their next album but um uh time out for fun peekaboo and that's good all have the same exact set with very minor changes even the the blue screens in the background showing uh, animation flowing around like digital cgi is repeated a lot and i can see being the label going, hold the fucking phone. What? What did you just do? You just made three shitty videos instead of one good video? Okay. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to break your heart here a little bit, but this is one of their albums that I don't like that much. Son of a bitch, I quit! I quit! We're done! (laughs) I find this to be somewhat mediocre, especially when you consider what came before with New Traditionalists and Freedom of Choice, that this really did kind of feel like a step down. And that, that might be part of with the burning, uh, burning things with Warner Brothers where, you know, just their heart wasn't necessarily in it. And so it's just kind of, you know, let's, let's churn out some stuff, you know, the music video thing, and just kind of, you know, see what we can, see if we can get out of our contracts or something. I guess. I mean, but it's not that their heart... No, I thought it was a lot like, more fun. Some aren't good songs. Yeah, some it's people get pissed off, any- though, because this is where they ditched guitars almost completely, and they almost went completely digital um, synthesizer sound. And I, I can see why. I mean, none of the songs kick ass. Nothing feels like it's ripped right out of your chest the way that their first album does, where it's just really kick your teeth in and, and reach for the sky. And it ditches a lot of the political stuff and social stuff of the previous, previous albums. But it's so fun. It's dancing on ice. You well, don't like, like it. Like that's good. That's that's good as one song that I really dig. I uh, let's see what is it. Uh, there's explosions. Is all right. I I kind of dig that one. Uh, but things like I like Peekaboo, but I hate that little ha 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 thing that happens in it. <laughs> Yet ironically, I enjoy Speed Racer, which uh-huh. I think is dumb. I think it's probably one of the dumbest songs I've ever heard, but I enjoy it so much. It is truly silly. The the, um, the reason I even am a fan of Devo is because of this album, and they were on uh, Square Pegs promoting it. And, of course, I caught it years and years later, uh, like at 2 o'clock in the morning in 2001, I think, on Nick at Night. No, no, TV Land was on TV Land, and I caught it, and I was like, I really thought that song was fun. So I started looking into it, and I got this album, and then I started backtracking through previous albums. And, uh, you know, I, I think I had all of them, except for those two last ones they did for Ryko Disc, which were all dance disco songs, which makes no sense in the late 80s. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, but I just, and I even told them this when I met Devo, is that I saw you guys on Square Pegs, and I just... I just loved it so much that I became a huge fan. And they were like, yeah, that was just kind of a one-off promotion. We didn't really get paid for it. We just showed up, and uh, the label said, hey, uh, we're going to get you in primetime exposure. And they're like, we need it, please. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, you know, even like Patterns, I think – I it's funny because I think it's probably one of the most new wavy songs that they put out, even considering that they're a new wave band. But it's like Patterns – 
kind of doesn't feel like it's a Devo song, yet ironically, like, out of sync, I think is probably the most generic thing, like, and not necessarily in a bad way, but it's like, someone, you know, someone would say, what does Devo sound like? Yes, And yeah. I'd put on out of sync. Right, it's if, like, if you, you want to do like, a cliche of what they sound like. Yeah, it's probably the basement level idea of what Devo would sound like, considering that they have some high highs and definitely... And again, as they go mediocre, it's like they've they've put out worse stuff than this. I'm, you know, everyone has, you know, <laughs> but uh, they've had they've had worse stuff than anything on this album too. Yeah, I think it's funny. It's another thing that really made uh, well pretty much everybody angry. And I don't know why they played with fire so much. I guess it's just their nature. Is that they picked up a poem by John Hinckley Jr. and uh, turned yeah. it into a song. And I desire <laughs> is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that. But also, it kind of feels like there really should be more musically to that song than there is. Like, I, I don't know, I'm not sure how to explain it, but it's kind of like, it really feels like they, it's like it seems like it's reaching for something and it just never gets there. Yeah. And you kind of get blue balls waiting for it. And and they took a tiered gap, and nobody likes shout. I really enjoy Shout. I think their their lyrics are much stronger. The sound is where it's a little weaker. Um, and I think the final straw was when... Uh, I still don't understand the argument. Warner Brothers absolutely did not want them to copy or do a cover of Are You Experienced by uh, Jimi Hendrix. And yet they did. They even shot the music video for it. I don't understand how as a label they didn't just t- they they own everything. Why did they just take it off the record? Why did they even let them record? I don't understand how that even happens. Well, I can I can see them recording it, but yeah, it's like why would they let it get on the album? Why would they let them shoot they, the video? <laughs> yeah, that that'd be the other thing. Unless they just turned into, oh, we were shooting a video for this. Oh, uh, they I, lied. I, I, I well, we're actually that. doing that. Yeah, I can see that. The um. I would say you have to be a New Wave fan. Uh, the standard, everybody, just like, oh, I kind of listen to New Wave. You're not going to get into it. Yeah, it, Devo is a band that, one, you have to have a, I do have to say, you kind of have to have a particular musical taste to like them. Because the weirdness of them is such on display that you it can easily weird you out and just kind of and make you not, not want to listen to them. Yeah. And, which is a shame because Devo is amazing. <sighs> oh, well. It's uh, for, it's uh, on the, uh, YouTube. You can listen to the whole thing. Of course, you have to see the commercials, but hey, it's right there if you want to check it out. Uh, what is your third? Are we on the, we're on the third one, right? Third? Yeah. We're on the third one, yes. Uh, mine is Psychic TV's Force the Hand of Change. This now, is I did not, weird. I didn't Yes, I did not get to you in time to tell you, because okay, this is an. Let me let me start a little bit of this. Was I supposed Psychic to get TV high founded? before? <laughs> I I would have said yes because it's definitely designed to be you should be stoned out of your mind, and experience because this is not necessarily an album, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that, but it's more of an experience. You're, I should have said uh, the moment I mentioned the, the thing, sit in a dark room and just let it wash over you. Because it's, there are songs, but then there are soundscapes. And it's, uh, well, Psyche TV was founded by the late uh, Genesis P. Orridge, along with uh, Alex Ferguson from the uh, experimental punk band Alternative TV, and Peter Christofferson, who would then later uh, become the founding member of COIL, and uh, this was after the industrial uh, avant-garde industrial noise band Throbbing Gristle broke up. Basically, instead of being a music group that makes videos, Psychic TV was going to be a, a video group that does music. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, it's like this album actually has uh, vocals from Mark Almond of Soft Cell. Uh, Soul and Kisses and Guiltless are those tracks. And... Like these were these are pioneers of acid house music, so definitely some trippy ass uh, again the trippy ass electronics and things like that. And just I will have to say this, uh, they they actually got into the Guinness Book of World Records. What? Uh, 
Yeah, the and I can't I can't find the exact thing because the way it's phrased, it's uh, they basically released uh, uh, the most records in a single year, and this was either in '86 or '87. They made an attempt to release 23 live albums on the 23rd day of 23 consecutive months. Whoa! I was hoping it was going to be something like, well, they had the highest score in uh, Dig Dug. <laughs> it's completely unrelated. <laughs> it's like. And I'll say this: Wikipedia says that it was in '86, and I, but I only see seven LPs really. Uh, but I see seven LPs released in '87, while they only did like five of them in '86, because they didn't, they didn't make it all the way through there, but they still released a fuck ton of stuff. Wow. And I tried, and I actually tried going on the Guinness website, but there was over 1,100 records to shift uh, to sift through, and I gave up after around 100. Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but this was something that Genesis died back in March, and I knew I was going to have to cover them at some at some point. And the first album definitely seemed like the good starting point because you've got there's I mean. Things like Just Drifting and Stolen Kisses are, like, kind of standard songs. But then you have, like, Terminus, which is this 13-minute spoken word track. The music behind it is music, but it's very arty in in the poetry, so take that as you will. Yeah, this is essentially beat poetry. It's more that than it is, a, uh, like, uh, a song-oriented album. Yeah, like, there's a song called No Go Go which has this it's not groundbreaking but i love the guitar work in it just this little instrumental but then there's this weird little helicopter sound that kind of just fades in and out or uh same thing like of power is this little it's the the lyrics are the vocals are kind of heart you know kind of hurt it but it's got this nice jazzy music and it really reminds me of like some of the very early KMFDM stuff too, which I absolutely adore. But yeah, this is this would probably be the most challenging thing I put up there. Nope. But it's also, as I said, it's it's an experience more than an album. Are you experienced? Well, I am with. <laughs> yeah. I'll stop. Like like put this way, the last track on it called uh, "Message from the Temple." is essentially uh, this this will be an interesting story for you it's essentially the mission statement for the temple of uh, psychic youth which was the magical and philosophical wing of psychic tv which was it was set up at the band's inception as a fan club slash ironic cult okay uh, <laughs> It's like, look, uh, what is it, the, the, it the Church of Bob, or what is it? What's that one that's, like, it's not really a religion? Oh, uh, oh, it's, uh, why can't I think of the name of it? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, damn, I... It's so, okay, it's uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, brain, brain fried, not working. But, yeah, it's, look it up sometime. It's, uh... It's something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the album also came with like eight themes that you could. It's not technically part of the album, but it is. And some of them are regular music and ambient tone, and then some of it's just weird, strange, experimental stuff. Eh, for the most part, it's good. But there's some annoying shit in it, too, so. But that, I think, would be about it, unless you have anything to add about it. Ah, that. do not. It's uh, I fell asleep to it, so I didn't finish it. But I guess there's that. <laughs> it lets you sleep. Right, then what do you got? Okay, so, do you know the name Roy Thomas Baker? It is familiar, but uh, why don't you tell me who it is? Legendary producer, known for uh, breaking Queen through... Um, uh, a lot of prog rock during the uh, 70s uh, developed the whole car sound they did like the first three albums with him but he has been the producer of a couple albums we've discussed on this show already including one already in this episode he is the master of soundtracks as well known for putting together Fast Times at Ridgemont High Wayne's World and Heavy Metal but he is the producer of Flush the Fashion by Alice Cooper, which was in our first episode, and he just produced the last Devo album we just discussed. 
he also produced another album on my list in this year, and it's Cheap Trick One on One. Ah, this one, yes. Uh, the most mainstream, honestly. Also, this has got to be the most mainstream of all the albums. I'll say this: I did not particularly like this one. I can see that, but I will also, but I will also say this: the Otter tracks on there, "I Want Be Man" and uh, "Saturday at Midnight," are really interesting, and I like those. Everything else just kind of ends up being kind of generic rock songs. I know, which... I know. It's the most mainstream is dad rock, but I absolutely love the song "If You Want My Love." I sang it for like two weeks straight when I watched the video uh, just a little bit ago. Um, and um, I'm very confused about the song "She's Tight" because it's not sexual. It's about a girl who's fucking rad and tight like a uh, really well put together sh- uh, car. I don't know, but I kept listening to it. And go, is this filthy? No, this isn't filthy. Is this filthy? So, not much to say about it. It's just, just a really yeah, solid. Saying, yeah. Well, that's just it. It's like, you know, "If You Want My Love" is a really nice ballad, but it's like, like "Ooh La La La." just got eye rolls from me. I, I can see that one, yeah. And I, I literally put that in my notes. I'm just going, I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably the last album of theirs that really charted. Uh, after this is where it starts to get kind of rough for a while, and they had to go, you know, stop for a while, and they redid their whole sound in 1988, and they went all hair metal, and yes, they had some hits, but God, they never went back to this style again. And I... I was it the flames their power ballad and they well, did a like, cover of uh, uh don't yeah. be cruel and i i just think this is the last album where cheap trick really mattered well it's it cheap trick has especially prior to this cheap trick has some bangers i mean i i love you know oh let's just let's just simple it simplify it before i even go anywhere the just listen to live at budokan i mean that that right there is reason enough to listen to any early cheap trick is they basically wrote a ton of great stuff and they have probably one of the best live albums ever and then they just kind of like think like dream police that's great i love that one yeah the video is great too yeah it's like but i think that's also where that kind of they start stepping into quote-unquote mediocrity starting there but it's like even at that time they have uh, off uh, oh god uh, the heavy metal soundtrack uh, reach out which is amazing yeah that that probably is my favorite track and but it's like it it's one of those things where why is that not on this album that is I weird mean, it really doesn't seem like it fit even though like one of the songs on here is kind of boingo ish but. Uh, even so, put 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 something that's a totally put a banger on this album. Dang it! Like four letter word is the best rock song on this album, and it's the last track. It shouldn't be the last track. It's um, it is strange because I was looking at the, the the soundtrack for Heavy Metal, and all of these songs eventually made it to the next album by that band, or was already you know uh, in the same year. So it's kind of strange that that never really uh, that wasn't pushed as a single, and it didn't make it to the next album. Yeah, that that is it, it's a shame because that yeah, that song is great, and it's a, from a band that has a track record that is pretty damn solid, and so it, yeah, just I don't know it it happens, right? Yep. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, the next one is The Cure's Pornography. Um. I wanted to love this. I really did. I love The Cure now. I hated The Cure in the 90s. I don't know why. I hated a lot of bands for weird reasons. I hated Counting Crows. I hated Smashing Pumpkins. I hated The Cure. I think it's the kind of the more nasally whiny, which is ironic since I have a nasally whiny voice. Um, I, I, I like the later stuff. They haven't found the sound that would make them famous on this one. This one is... Well, not, this is the third... It's... I, it's not necess- I want to say it's the third part, but it's not necessarily ever thought about. It was never organized in this way. But it's the third part of these goth albums that uh, kind of stemmed from the fact that uh, Robert Smith at the time wanted to become uh, Susie and the Banshees Part 2, as opposed to what the label kind of wanted him to be, which is like 
XTC Part 2 or something. And I, I gotta tell you, I'll take XTC over Suji and the Banshees any day. Oh. I know, I know. XTC's <laughs> gonna show up on this later. We'll have this discussion. Yeah, but it's like, you know, you know, the previous two albums, 17 Seconds and Fade, they are both gloomy albums. But Pornography takes this to, like, a nihilistic place, pretty much. Yeah. But it was essentially going to be Smith's fuck-off statement and the band Swan Song. He was kind of, they were touring so much and everything. Robert Smith was just, he was totally burnt out. And since he didn't just, he didn't want to commit suicide. So this was the kind of the idea. But uh, it it really wasn't all that well received because it was obviously it's a very gloomy album but this did allow Smith to leave The Cure and then he ended up actually rejoining the Banshees because uh, in 79 he actually was technically part of the band during a tour I had no idea yeah because what they're like guitarists fucked off so uh, he joined on as one of the guitarists basically there was on a tour that they were both on so he was doing double duty but he, he stuck around with them for an album and the live album and then came back in like 83 for the next two albums which I don't particularly care about The Cure, aside from this like this uh, these trio of albums I like I like the, the uh, late 80s, early 90s uh, stuff that they did I think that's really where they truly found their sound but this album like it starts off with 100 years and it's like the first lyrics are it doesn't matter if we die <laughs> and it, it just it just sit there and kicks you in the nutsack right off the bat and like this isn't gonna be happy and yeah it, but this is also if you're gonna ever hear a goth album this is probably with the exception of you know Bajas and Joy Division you know there's there are other goth bands out there this one, I think, is maybe one of the most accessible. Where, and granted, as I said, it's nihilistic as shit, but they do, they, they still have that cure sound in them. Yeah, it, well, it, it, they're more instrumental, I think, on this one, and, and synth. Uh, it's, it's like they're developing the new sound, like Electronica uh, mixed with um, a, a taste of industrial, you know, the stuff that's coming next. Yeah, which and what's kind of weird about this is <coughs> they me. took they took the Hanging Garden as the single, and it's basically just a hugely percussion uh, percussion oriented song. And Kevin kind of was talking about where in that uh, with in Devo where you kind of get get blue balls for something that's coming. Same thing with this one. It always feels like this this drum beat is leading to something that's going to be some form of catharsis, and it never comes. But the the two truly the strongest things on here you have the figurehead, which is very extremely gothy, but it's not as oppressive as some of these other ones can be, and a strange day, which hands down is the best song off this album, and I don't understand why it wasn't the single. It's far more upbeat, and while mel well it's definitely melancholy. It's you know, you don't feel bad. Listen, you know, like it doesn't make you feel bad or anything. I got nothing to say. Uh, sorry. There's also, <laughs> uh, last, I guess the last thing I put is the last track on uh, the titular track is, in a way, the worst thing on this album. And it because basically it's more of a noise track than it is really a song. And if it was just that, I would have respect for it. But. Then they have vocals added to it, and it just—it never gels that well. And it should have just been this kind of, kind of harsh noise, you know, sonic scape. Because I think that probably would have, it would have led you out of this this forest a little better than them kind of make trying to. Oh yeah, but we're singing on this thing. <laughs> it's like no, no, just let you know let me cook in my sadness with with uh just some weird noise and, and guitars and stuff yeah I'm, I'm waiting eagerly awaiting some of their later albums which i know better um but uh for me my second to last choice okay so look um there was better albums than this 
there's albums I thought about, but they were all successful. This one is sort of successful, but I think what is lost is the fact that Flock of Seagulls is only known now for their hairdo. And I think that's what ruined them. If they had normal look and this sound, they would have been much more successful, but they were considered a joke. But when you listen to this album on its own without thinking of the video, it works so much better. Well, the thing is, is yes, there's definitely some really strong stuff in here. I also do kind of feel it does die a little bit at one point. Like, telecommunication is boring. Oh, it's so but repetitive. That's, that's, that's a screw-up on their part. They should not have put that on yeah, there. But it feels like it's them trying to do craft work. Yep. I mean, 100%. It's like, and not understanding why, and I'm going to... I'm putting up quotes around this because Kraftwerk is also a very difficult group. Why Kraftwerk works is because they kind of knew what they were doing in being their weird, repetitive robot selves. Right, just just like uh, Daft Punk. Yeah, and this, yeah, like that doesn't work for it, but you have, like, the, the two main songs that everybody knows from this were I Ran and Space Age, Lo- Space Age Love Song are so, you know, like, I Ran is an iconic song. Like, anyone starts playing that, that guitar and drum, you know, the guitar and drum uh, beat from that thing, you immediately know what it is, and you are singing along to it. Yeah, and, and they are songs that have aged well. Whereas a lot of songs from this time period, when you sit there and you listen to it, it's like, wow, this thing's really repetitive, or it's so hollow. I still can't believe that people love My Sharona as much as they do. Look, it has a great beat, but have you listened to the fucking lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, what's funny is, it, some of these songs on here, like, You Can Run, I really like, but I also kind of wish it wasn't as synthy as it was. Because it, it feels a lot like a Tom Petty song. It, it does seem like they're a little lost on what they want their unique sound to be. They, they feel like they're touching on all sorts of things. And I'm guessing a lot of these songs were ones that they created in the beginning of the band and then worked towards, you know, I Ran and Space Age Love songs later. Like, those are probably as they've matured as artists. But you hear a lot of synth, some hard-driving songs in here. But I see so much potential, and that's why I enjoyed the album, because I was like, these guys are more than these two songs. And if Very it wasn't, much so, yeah. but they, I, I still think they screwed up so badly with that stupid fucking haircut. I don't know. Did someone force them to do it? Or did they think that was a good idea? Because if they were just straight up, I think that they would still be considered um, to be one of the great '80s bands. Yeah, and well, I think that was part of the idea. Was again, you, you had new romantic, you had all these things going on. People are dressing like pirates, you had <laughs> Devo, Devo in their Devo hats. So. How are you going to make yourself stand out? And yeah, it was the haircut. And yeah, they, they should have just ran on the strength of the songs. I mean, again, I'm kind of mentioning other bands with this, but like Messages. Messages gives me like a synthy, makes me think of synthy version of Cult or Echo and the or uh, Echo and the Bunny Men. Yeah. Uh, standing in the doorway, actually, and I know you're gonna kind of hate this. But it feels like it could be covered by Motley Crue. <laughs> although, although it doesn't explicitly, it's not explicitly about Sunset Strip or Sunset Strip strippers. So uh, maybe not. But it does, it does really feel like it would be something that they would do. By the way, we were talking on Facebook about changing any song that has the word girl in it to squirrel. And I said, squirrel, squirrel, squirrels. And instead of talking about strip clubs, they talk about famous forests throughout this country. <laughs> guys yeah it's like it's one of those bands where i feel bad that they never really got their fair shake yeah and the irony is now every time you see one of those where are they now flock of seagulls is like in every single last one of those where are they now and all the artists are on a patio in their backyard playing an acoustic version of whatever their famous song was yeah oh man but please you know it's like I would definitely say give these guys a shot. Yep, they, totally. DNA, oh god, that's a hell of an instrumental. The, uh, we're almost to an hour, so what is your fifth and final album? Wait, are we on? F- no, you're fourth. My f- nope, nope, this is my fifth. Really? The final one. Yeah. Okay, alright. Yep. Is uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The Message. I think this is the most 
enjoyable album, even though it's very strange and it can't seem to pick where it wants to go, but I thought it was so eclectic. Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, I mean, it's it, they're one of the first hip-hop groups out there and possibly one of the most influential of all time. You know, it's like the first record to feature scratching and turntablism. Oh my and, god, Grandmaster yeah. Flash is the fucking best DJ. He's amazing! It, he's, His samples are yeah. crazy! It, you know, it's like, you have, like, on this album you have R&B songs, because you have uh, You Are, which is really good, and then Dreamin', which is solid, but it also extremely silly because it's a love song to Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny um, is halfway through, I thought I accidentally hit another album. I was like, is this the same album that I started off with? Because this doesn't feel like it fits. You have uh, Scorpio on here, which is this one of the first, one of the earliest uh, electro funk tracks, and it's so weird and awesome. Uh, like, there's, you know, I mean, aside from uh, "It's a Shame," which is a very, uh, very politically and socially conscious song, you have "The Message," which is truly the most well-known song and, like most enduring really i mean even considering some of the uh, other songs that came out at this time with like the breaks and rapper's delight and stuff like that the message still not only does it you know does it is it a bagger to begin with it's still con- you know socially relevant today yeah that white line well white lines maybe not so many people are doing coke but the 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 point behind white lines is still valid very much so, yeah. And again, the album closes out with Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, which is a live DJ mix, where he's using three turntables and mixing all these different records together. And you can tell it's live because some of it isn't, like, you can, you can see where, mis- you know, there could be mistakes made, where it's like, oh, I held on this a little too long or something like that. But it's still, it's, it is phenomenal. It is amazing to listen to. So did you get to watch The Get like, Down yet? I know that was only two days ago, but did you watch any of it yet? Not yet. I, okay, so Grandmaster Flash had, and The Furious Five, today. they're, they're a, a major part of that show in two ways. They are actually mentioned in it. There's a whole plot point where they, they uh, legally dub. Um, they bootleg one of his concerts, one of Grandmaster Flash's concerts, and they start selling it to raise money for their group. But also, those kids are basically Furious Five. And the way they design songs around their DJ is the same way that they did for this album. Um, I I truly believe The Get Down is the greatest TV show ever created. And it's only ten episodes long, and I've never felt more power inside of me while watching it, which is weird. But it was so great. Yeah, and that, that's one that... It's on my list, and it's just that ever-growing list of things where I've got to get to this. I have to see this. Yeah, it's it was very very expensive, and Netflix just couldn't afford. I mean, the first season cost one hundred ten million dollars. Oh man! But yeah, this is truly out of out of everything. This is from my list of song, my list of albums. This is definitely the treat because after nihilism and yeah, <laughs> and everything, here we have positive. Have you know not necessarily always happy, but positive, uplifting music. Even if it's talking about you know the the fact that we all need to be united, you know, and how tough it is to live, you know, live in the ghetto. It's still upbeat and positive, and you know sometimes it's just stuff you need. And also, it's great party music. Right. Well, it's an album that's necessary right now since we're going apparently through the fifth ring of hell. Yeah. Okay, so final album. I'm now nervous considering how you reacted to Cheap Trick. I don't think you're going to like this album. I get the feeling. I discovered this last month and I've been obsessed with it. Not all the songs are great, but there's some of there that just locked into my brain so much. I'll say I'll, I'll say it like this. This is a band I want to dive further into. Okay. I'm not necessarily sure about this album as a whole. I like the style. And I think that they're definitely... I said, I want to hear more. Oh, we already mentioned that. Uh, it's but Utopia. Yeah. Utopia, self-titled album, 1982. It's their second album of the year, too. The first one's okay, but this is where they changed their sound. Before this, they're... So if you want to dive in, so pre this album, it's prog rock. 
the the previous album kind of mixes a little more pop sound into it but this is the one where they're really aiming to be on the charts it's weird because there's some stuff like it's opening track I'm surprised it was under three minutes and this is kind of will sound mean but that song took forever to get through they do not start off I'm still confused as to why the first couple tracks are what they chose because their hits are mostly on the back end of the album because it's like like say yeah is a good is a dig is a track I dug call it uh, call it what you will I was digging it had a nice little funk to it I was really digging on that and it's just like you have uh, like burn three times was was odd and fun but it's just kind of like it can't just between stuff I'm kind of going eh and it's like it like I said I like what I'm hearing just not liking what I'm hearing which is such a weird contradiction in terms. Yeah, I, as I said, I want to, I want to explore them because it definitely feels like this is probably my jam. Now, did you watch the music video I sent just, you? By the way, I'm just curious. Yes, I. Yeah, I did. Okay, the first. A, what'd you think of it? Uh, the, I, I liked it, dude. It was pretty good. It's like, it's so weird. Shit. It's fucking weird. And at the same time, I'm watching it, and at first I was like, "What is this cheap piece of crap?" And then I was like, oh, I kind of like the song, but this video is strange. It looks. And then I realized, oh, it's 1982. They're doing stuff that no one else is doing. They have all these costumes, and they're using early special effects, and it's it's, it's so. We it's just it's just strange. But the song is so catchy. But also the structure of "Feet Don't Fail Me Now." This is how I discovered the band because I was watching this video. "Feet Don't Fail Me Now." The structure of the song is unusual. Did you notice how they rearranged? Like okay, so orchestra usually comes. Sorry, not cor- orchestra. The chorus usually comes at a certain place in the song, but they changed it, and they also have the main part of the song is like in two small parts, and it's in a deep, deep voice, where the rest of it is more pop, um, lighter sound. And they say "Feet Don't Fail Me Now." It doesn't feel that repetitive because each time they say it, they have a whole new lyric after it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has, and I've I've heard that in other bands later, you know, as things have gone on. But yeah, it is definitely, especially at that time, you usually just kind of had, you know, lyrics, you know, it's like bit, chorus, bit, chorus, bit, chorus, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, as the Nirvana song went. And uh, it's all about a man who's in denial about a relationship dying and, and trying to get grips on himself and get out of there without em- embarrassing himself. But, yeah, and it's like, there's like, ham- you know, Hammer My Heart. It's one of the songs where I was, after a little bit of uh, slightly disappointed things, I'm like, this sounds like it has promise. And then I'm like, by the end of it, you know, I got the touchdowns, so I go, it's good. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. That was their second release. And in fact, it looks like this one charted much higher. And I've seen the music video. The music video is horrible. It's just their live performance, and they just chopped it up into a weird rhythm. You have to see it to understand what I'm talking about. But um, I think the best song in here, though, is Princess of the Universe, which is just fucking awesome. It's one of those great garage rock uh, kick-ass. And it's sung by the drummer. Everybody in this band sings. And they write their own songs. It's kind of unique because there's only a, a handful of bands that really had that, where all the guys contributed. Yeah, it's usually yeah. It's like in most bands, it's oh yeah, the the band might ne- might actually write the music, but it's always oh the vocalist writes the lyrics, and that's it, and that's all we're gonna do, and that's how we're gonna run it. Basic, you know, yeah, having having everyone kind of have a say in stuff like that and actually contribute their own songs is definitely a unique thing. And also one of the things I read about them and went, I think this is why I want to check them out a little bit more. Yeah, it's not their most successful album. They didn't even have the one hit that they, they had a song two years earlier called Set Me Free, which is a dull ballad. Ugh. I think that's one of the things they fight with in Utopia is it seems like they want to be a kick-ass rock and roll band. But something left over from the 70s and their prog rock years is holding them back. You're trying to, yeah, trying to make it... We're, we're trying to serve two masters here. We want, we want to be a rock band of the future, but we, we're trying, but we still hold 
too much of our previous our previous uh, vision. Right. We don't lose our original fans, I guess. You know, I know the band is still putting out albums and they still go on tour, but they haven't had a studio album since 1985, apparently. But I just saw on my Spotify they put out an album last year, which is like a tribute album or something. I don't know. Huh. Well, that's what I was talking about the flashbacks earlier is there are other releases by them. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, like because they're just random demos. I mean, uh, the Coup d'etat album itself got a... The original demos got released later on as uh, Gras. So you have, uh, if you want to hear the raw version of those ones, there's a way to do that. But it's like, yeah, everyone just kind of, it's interesting when a band breaks up, yet they still seem to manage to release uh, albums. Oh, and it's 2020, it just got released. It's the benefit from Moogie Klingman, which I don't know if that's a joke or that's a real person, but it's a live album with songs... Uh, I guess it went to benefit whoever this was. Uh, actually, they've had a lot of new albums, but they're all live. What's Disco Jets? Disco Jets is from 2012. So, uh, Wikipedia, you wrong. <laughs> oh, yes. And that's the thing. I always, anytime I say I, I take something Wikipedia, I try to source that at least. Yeah. So. All right, so that is it for I, me. I, I might be talking to my ass. I don't know why I'm yelling. The, yeah, micro- that- the microphone's right there. You're here. I don't know why I yell. It's ridiculous. I'm not a child. Well, you're announcing it to the I door. Yes, I should be like, it's the smooth radio here on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I don't know how to end this. So everybody check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. John, anything you want to plug before you go? Uh, nothing at the moment. Oakley dokley. So we'll be back. Uh, I'm going to take a break. I'm a little overwhelmed. So July, I'm going to take a break. And then we'll come back with year 1983 and all of our little podcasts. Can't wait. There's going to be some fun stuff. And I believe that's also our uh, the year to talk about uh, the parental, uh, the PMAC. And all was it 83? I thought it was 85 or 86. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. PMRC. PMRC. Okay. Uh, all right, everybody. Have a good night. Rock on. Later, everybody. <laughs> the needle has dropped.